Good morning, good morning. Breakfast today is dedicated in loving memory and Lilui Nishmat Shalomo Ben Gita Tova, Alava Shalom, anonymously sponsored. Also sponsored in loving memory of Lilui and Lilui Nishmatim of Rahel Bat Esther, Alea Shalom, and Elhanan Ben Devora, Alava Shalom. Sponsored by the Benjamin and Schwartz families. Uh, breakfast is also sponsored in loving memory of Lilui Nishmat Mazal Kapla Batruma, Alea Shalom. May her memory be blessed. May her soul be bound up in the bond of everlasting life. Amen. Sponsored by the Kapla family. Okay. Um, Rabotai, there's something very, very interesting about this time of year. It's relentless, isn't it? Sunday morning, holiday. Two days, relax for a second, fast day. After that, holiday. Then relax for one second, Shabbat, Sunday, holiday. And then again, Cholomoed, holiday. Can I ask you a simple question? Why in the world would God stack the holidays in such uh, uh, an uneven fashion? You know what it's like? Remember when you were a child and used to make I- iced tea? Remember that, right? So you, you put the iced tea packet in or whatever. You, you, you kind of stirred it a little bit. And you're drinking the iced tea and it's a little bit like kind of watery. You know, or you had like chocolate milk, a little bit, cho- you know, milky, not no cho- and then you get to the bottom, and all of a sudden you get like hit, you know? All this, there's tons of the, the iced tea mix, or the chocolate mix, or the soup mix, or whatever it is that a person is mixing in. If they haven't distributed it properly, so there's a concentration of, uh, of sorts in one place, and it's, so what is it? Is it God, that God forgot to shake the year at the end after he distributed the holidays, and they just kind of wound up all in one month? What's going on over here? So I'd like to just share, uh, Number one, a thematic progression, but also a simple understanding. Anyone who works out will know that in order for uh, working out to mean anything, the the workout needs to happen in a way where it's not in isolation. If you go into the gym and you push as much weight as you can one time, yeah, you might walk out sore, but you will have done nothing to develop your muscles or to develop on a, in a, into a healthier state. What, what's required is some level of consistency. Warm up, uh, a, warm up, a uh, what's it called? They even say a warm down at the end. So the consistency of the way a person does something actually ensures that whatever it is that he spent all that effort putting into is something that he could take away. So number one, of course, the on the simple level, the nature of the condensation of the holidays is just to create a rhythm. But that answer alone is not enough. Because ultimately, after you finish with, uh, with Simchat Torah at the end of Sukkot, you're also going to stop. So what are we really driving at here? And I think there's something here which I think is magnificent. We start with Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is a time when a person recognizes the value and the importance of their spirituality in their life. Literally, when you make God the king, you are saying that everything else in my life is subservient to God. So making God the king, i.e. Rosh Hashanah, the new year, that begins first when you say to yourself, what is the most important thing in my, on my list of priorities going forward? Yom Kippurim says, well, one second, if those are my priorities, how come some of the things that made my list of priorities aren't actually in my daily practice? I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing this wrong. That is the Ashamnus, the uh, confessions, if you will, of Yom Kippur, when we recognize that our lives are not aligned with our values. One more time. Yom Kippur is when we recognize that our lives are not aligned with our values, i.e. Rosh Hashanah. 
Now, the, there's a funny thing that happens on, on Yom Kippur. The Kohen Gadol, the high priest, goes into the temple, into the holiest place, the Kodesh HaKodashim, on the holiest day. And he does one thing in the Holy of Holies. He doesn't have uh, many things to do there. There's one thing that he does. He brings the Korban of the Ketorah, the sacrifice of the incense that he would bring. Now there's 10 different ingredients to this incense. 10 of the ingredients are unbelievable. They smell wonderful. And there's one of them, the final one, Helbenah, the last one, well, it smells terrible. It's the final ingredient in the Ketoret. What happens if I put in only the good stuff and I leave out this last 11th ingredient? The halakha is, there's no Ketoret. In fact, the Kohen Gadol that brought incense into the Holy of Holies, which didn't incorporate this last 11th ingredient that smelled terrible, he would be Hayav Mita, it would be the death penalty. To go into the holiest of holies and to bring something that was incomplete like that. Our rabbis tell us that that 11th ingredient, the bad smelling element of the incense, uh, which needs to be there, is defined by a part of the Jews perhaps, which don't have the most wonderful of smells. They're not the most engaged in their religious practice. They don't study the most Torah. They don't attend the most classes. They don't, they don't go to prayers. You know, they're not so, you know, they're not so kosher at home or out when they go to eat, etc., etc. It refers to an element of the Jewish people that doesn't have what, what would be called or termed in Jewish, in Jewish terms, reach nichoach, a sweet smell to God. And yet, without that 11th ingredient, the ketoret is pasul. What we learn on Yom Kippur is on one level a tremendous lesson of unity between the people. Rabotai, what's fascinating is that what begins at the top with leadership, when people see leadership, what happens in Yom Kippur is we take even those people, like we say in the beginning of Yom Kippur, right before Kalnidre, we ask Rashut permission from the Bet Din, Shalmala, the heavenly court, to pray together with the people that are full of sins, and yet they have a place in our synagogue. That's the idea on Yom Kippur. What's fascinating is that a few days later on Sukkot, we have that concept reiterated. The four species, Etrog, Lulav, Hadassim, Aravot, represent in, in specifically each one. The Etrog is a good smell and a good taste, refers to someone who has studied Torah as wise and also has good uh, character traits. Hadassim, they smell good, they don't taste good. They refer to someone who does mitzvot, but doesn't, uh, doesn't study Torah. The, uh, what's it called, the lulav, representative of the tree that it comes from, the date tree, has a good taste, but not a good smell. Representative of someone who studies Torah, but doesn't do mitzvot. And finally, the aravot, doesn't smell and doesn't taste good, represents the rasha. Each one of these four things have to be brought together. So we find this synonymous idea by Yom Kippur and a few days later on Sukkot. Why do we need that idea on Sukkot if we just did that two minutes ago on Yom Kippurim? In the Sukkah we find the idea as well. Every citizen of Israel has a place in the Sukkah, in this home of the Jewish people, in the home of God. So if that idea already appears on Yom Kippur, why do we need to take that forward into, <coughs> into Sukkot? And the answer is magnificent. On Yom Kippur we find, not everybody does this, but the great tzaddikim, the leaders of the generation, in a very opportune moment, they illustrate and show somebody that they also have a place, that they're also welcome. The minute the person does that on Yom Kippur, the high priest in the temple 
Suddenly, every single person, every man in, in Am Yisrael, every woman, every child realizes that that practice is not something which is only reserved for the wise and for the righteous, but it's something that's reserved for all of us as well. The opportunity to open your arms out and to welcome somebody in and to not draw distinctions between the fact that someone is more or less religious, but to give them a place in a conversation, a place in the home to welcome them in. And that's not just the righteous thing to do, but it's the commonplace thing to do. Rabbi Dai, I just want to add one last part, which I think is imperative. You know, many of the ideas of Judaism are true on multiple levels. And I'll give you an example of this in uh, regular life. I want you to imagine a child asks for a lollipop. Why does a child want the lollipop? Very simple. Sugar, 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 sugar. Right? That's it. Why does a mother give a child a lollipop? Maybe she wants to reward the child for good behavior. Maybe she wants to shut the kid up. Right? She put a lollipop in his mouth. But the mother has a different reason for the lollipop than the child does, correct? Why would a doctor give a child a lollipop? Maybe because the child is, uh, has some problems with his sugar levels. There's, uh, you know, there's an insulin drop the kid needs. So there it could be a medical reason why you're giving a child a lollipop. So depending on the person's point of view, um, there's the same thing, the same deed, but it represents very, very different uh, perspectives and very, very different objectives. The idea of incorporating the good and the bad together on a simple level refers to good Jews and bad Jews. And having good Jews and bad Jews get along and just recognizing that they could drop that label and just call themselves Jews. However, and this is much more powerful perhaps, on an individual level, there's something to be said as well of including the bad. You know, our society teaches us more and more and more and more as we go along that we're supposed to favor the best part of ourselves. And what do I mean by that? When you're in school, you're already being streamed to a certain topic or uh, subject that you're very good at. They're telling you to drop the subjects that either you don't enjoy or you don't excel at. And then where do you go from there? They push you into a university course, which you know favors your strong maths background, as an example. And then from there into a job in accountancy. Now that means that the system is streamlining you to effectively adopt, to effectively highlight, and to effectively uh, um, uh, uh, strengthen the parts of yourself which are good. But we are being encouraged more and more to take the parts of ourselves that are maybe not as good or flawed and instead of working on them and bringing out the inherent strength within those flaws, we're being taught instead to sweep those parts of ourselves under the carpet. Now, that concept is also alluded to in the idea that ultimately, without the chilbena, without that negative aspect, the ketoret doesn't make sense. So you look at yourself and you find all these wonderful attributes and you just stop talking about your challenges. You stop talking about the parts of yourself that are less developed. Judaism says, no, there's a reason why that is there too. And there's a way for you to flip and to derive benefit and internal value from things that you think actually are not only a big weakness, but something to be ignored. Judaism says, let's celebrate that. 
You just don't know yet how to be able to use it, how to be able to offset the chilbana, this foul-smelling odor that when it's held together in the right composition, in the right amount with other things, suddenly is very, very powerful. And I'd like to just give you for one second before we end a, uh, a way of looking at this, which I think is very powerful. If you ever visit a, uh, a kindergarten, you might notice two adults standing, by, standing there by the door ready to pick up their children. I'm very fond of this idea. One man, one man or woman is standing by the door. They look, they're looking at the children and one of them points at this child that's literally running around, knocking things over, you know, pushing people down. The kid is literally the Tasmanian devil, okay? Spinning around in circles, devastation and destruction in his wake. And one of the kids point, one of the parents looks, points at this kid, one adult says, this kid is a terrorist, look at him. He destroys everything he touches. And the other parent with a smile on their face looks at the kid and says, he has so much energy. Shovav, good word. Yet one parent sits there in the kindergarten, he sees a child that's bossing everybody around, you stand here, you go there, give me the blocks. And he says, wow, look at this kid, what a control freak. You know, so bossy. And the other one says, yes, unbelievable. My most magnificent leadership potential. <laughs> right? One of them is a regular parent. The other one is this kid's parent. That's how that works. <laughs> right? Isn't that obvious? Wow. Now, the parent is choosing to see an element of this behavioral pattern which, rep- which represents and reflects the positive aspects of what could be construed as a negative element of their character. It just requires someone to have a little bit of love. Someone that feels that this person is my team. They're on my side. You know, their success looks good on me. And suddenly, that parent looks at the most negative aspects of their child and sees within that something beautiful. So what's required for the good and the evil, the bad parts to be held together, both by the teachers and the influencers of our generation, as, um, s- s- uh, as signaled by the Kohen Gadol, putting them together, or in our own homes, what's required for that drawing together? What's requi- required is, is a good and warm home, where within the house, within the walls of this house, Someone says something bad about your brother or sister, what do you say? Okay, they're not perfect. Are you perfect? Right, what are they saying? They're saying that everybody suffers from a little bit of this. Everybody, everybody's family has got one of these. Stop picking on my brother. What's required is for them to sit, to feel like they belong in the same home. If they belong in the same home, if it's your brother, if it's your sister, if you feel that affinity and connection, suddenly you figure out a way to give them a space, to make them part of what needs to be held together, to have their smell and their elements and their challenges actually not just detract, not just not detract or be disguised or masked by all the good and focusing on the good, but rather to see that that element also brings out the pungent smell of the chilbana, brings out the wonderful smell uh, within, what's it called? Within, uh, within the, the rest of the mixture. May God bless us always to have such beautiful eyes, Amen. such magnificent eyes. You know, in the hadassim, the hadassim, each one of the leaves is shaped like an eye. I don't know if you've 
you ever seen the myrtle branches. The aravot look like lips, they're long and skinny, but the, but the hadasim, each one, they're round and they come to a point. They look like the human eye, and they're meant to represent that. And I always thought this idea is so magnificent that's brought down by our chachamim. One of the halachot of the hadasim is that there's three eyes, there's three leaves, and they need to be, those three leaves, they need to grow out of, the, out of the stem in the same place. And I always thought, what a magnificent thing. On each stem, on each part is three eyes, two of yours, and another one to represent someone else's perspective. Isn't that unbelievable? That all three of us should be able to see things from the same level, to feel that this is not, I'm not higher or lower than you, but rather we're all in the same place, just trying to make sense of a difficult world, just trying to get a little love, just trying to make a little, a little money, just trying to <coughs> build something meaningful and purposeful in our life. And when we can do that and feel the same and feel that everybody has a place, then suddenly they can be drawn together. Ultimately, that is the vision of what Judaism, Judaism believes is Mashiach. On a global level, when all the nations take their, their swords and they put them down and war is no more. And that's why we read on Sukkot all of the ideas of Gogu Magog, the final element, the final battles in history. Because after that, we're in a place where the nations beat their swords into plowshares. Uh, but, right, and there will be war, and there will be war, be war no more. <coughs> that is the outcropping of Am Yisrael. And in the same way that the Kohen Gadol is the highest, and it teaches as a leader, it teaches everyone in the Jewish people. If he can bring the spices together, then they can bring the species together. We also, as the Jewish people, are meant to be a light unto the nations. So when we on Sukkot bring ourselves together, we act as a light unto the nations to teach the world to do the same. And the aftermath of that is a world of Mashiach, a world where there is war no more, where everyone uh, comes together. May we be zocher, may we merit, first and foremost in our own homes, to feel that way about our siblings, our brothers and sisters, and to get over petty rivalries, and to see the value and the beauty in them, in them and, in, and in their challenges. And then further afield amongst our people, and then further afield, please God, across the entire world, the coming of Mashiach, Merah, Amen.